Season 2, Episode 9, Scarecrows. Don't talk, just listen. Trevor declared. 
He unceremoniously dropped his box of supplies so he could shake Terry's hand. I'm eight and a half years old, and I've lost three baby teeth. Are we friends now? Uh... Terry seemed unsure as to how the statements connected with the question, but he answered, Sure, yeah, we can be. Good, Trevor said, stooping to open the box. Because I usually make them my own, but I could always use a hand, and since you're here, and since you're my friend, you can help. Now this logic, Terry could not argue with, and the brazenness of it made him laugh. He bent to see what materials Trevor had, curious what sort of arts and crafts projects kids got up to here in the Man McGray's Keep in the city beneath the black sun. What is all this? Terry asked. Trevor branched a carving knife and a glinting needle. He grinned. Do you want to build a scarecrow? Terry eyed the malformed gourd that Trevor produced from the box and had a gun, carefully, to sketch a face onto. Where'd you get that? he asked. Trevor held the gourd away from himself, then spun it so Terry could see the face beginning to take shape. At Terry's nod, Trevor set the gourd down and began to slice into its body with the carving knife. Mrs. Hyde, only she's not really Mrs. anymore because her husband got all laid up. Only I'm not supposed to bring that up to her because it's not polite. She went to the greenhouse and she lets me use the fruits and veggies that nobody wants. She doesn't almost have any, so I use pillows and cushions and things, but those aren't as good. Terry asked, You've been making scarecrows for a while? The carving knife sank into the gorge's thick body with a satisfying thump. Grinning, Trevor withdrew the blade and began sawing his way up the marked path that he had drawn for himself. Sure, he said as he worked. I'm getting pretty good at it too, though help is always good. He glanced meaningfully at the box and Terry once again had to admire the brazenness of the boy. He sat down and placed one hand inside the box, ready. Where do I start? He asked. Shove the papers into the pant legs and the shirt sleeves, Trevor instructed, gesturing with the knife, its body now coated with gourd innards. I'll sew the shoes and gloves on later. The papers were magazine clippings that Trevor had apparently shredded, though within the ruins Terry could still make out the occasional celebrity name. As he worked, stuffing handful after handful into the provided clothing, it occurred to Terry that those names caused only momentary flashes of recognition within him, and most likely they would be completely meaningless to someone as young as Trevor. But to someone, to many someones not that long ago, those names had meant something, and the artifact that held them had meant something too. Probably, if any adults learned what Trevor had done with the magazines, they would be furious and call what he'd done vandalism or desecration if they were really serious. But Terry had to admit that he found something beautiful about it, about refusing the past any sense of romanticism or reverence. Instead, shred it down and make something new. The older boy realized the younger was watching him. 
What? Terry asked. Oh, nothing, Trevor replied. Just wonder what you're thinking about. Knowing that he seemed to have lost the ability to lie since becoming human again, Terry admitted, old things. You mean the clothes? Trevor nodded. Oh yeah, there's lots and lots of clothes and things in apartments where nobody lives anymore. They really come in handy when making my scarecrows and setting them up. A certain wrongness had been nagging at Terry all this time, and the boy's last comment finally allowed him to put a finger on what was bothering him. How many scarecrows have you made? He asked now. Trevor shrugged. Hard to say. Lots. Trevor? Yeah? Where do all your scarecrows go? Trevor gave Terry a look like this was the silliest question he had ever heard. They get up and walk away, he said. He held the freshly carved gourd up so its grinning face was level with Terry's own. What do you think? It's a really good one, right? began, Trevor explained, with a dream. Sometimes, dreams of terrible import are preceded by days that throb with menace and meaning. The way the atmosphere grows thick as thunderstorms boil up to full strength. But if there had been anything remarkable about that day, Trevor certainly could not remember it. He wasn't even positive about what day it had been or even exactly what month. Time flowed strange under the black sun, and it took real will to bend it to the calendars remembered from the world before. Trevor, never having known that land of blue skies and green grass, flowed along to a different rhythm of days. Nor could Trevor remember the exact dimensions of the dream, only the clutching cold he had felt when he awoke sweat standing up his back and piss spreading down the front of his pajamas. He had spent a week fretting over the dream, a week shivering constantly and feeling always on edge, half convinced that any second he would round a corner and there would be one of the twisted faces that had pursued him so relentlessly through all the hours between wakings. He hadn't even been fully aware of what he was gathering materials for until he had them all arrayed and was deep into his work. This was before he knew that Mrs. Hyde would let him use the discarded cords, and before he learned how to find abandoned apartments and homes to raid for clothing. And so that first scarecrow was constructed using salvage cushions from his own apartment and unused clothing from his own closet. It had ended up being a pretty weak effort, Trevor could now admit to Terry. He had come a long way. The first scarecrow was lopsided and falling apart almost as soon as he had it propped up. Once the thing was in the world, Trevor could no longer understand his own intensity of creation, and he left the scarecrow to languish in a chair in his bedroom. In theory, it could have sat there forever, 
with Trevor rarely, if ever, even thinking to acknowledge its existence. Except one night, not even a week later, Trevor awoke to the sound of scratching, as if someone was pulling something across the floor of his room. Trevor sat up in bed. There was no one and nothing to see. He scanned the room once more, now convinced there was no way he would ever get back to sleep tonight. It was then that he realized that the chair which held the scarecrow sat empty. A hand reached from out of the dark to rest on his shoulder. The hand weighed nothing at all, but it crinkled and sighed within its glove as it rested on Trevor's shoulder. Trevor followed the hand back up the arm, and sure enough, there it was. His first scarecrow, wearing the smile that Trevor had himself carved. The scarecrow backed away from him, seeming to become suddenly shy. It went to the window and strained to open it, apparently oblivious to the latch that held the window shut. When it looked back towards Trevor, the only word that Trevor could use to describe his body language was crestfallen. Or, anyway, it would have been the word if Trevor had been old enough to know what crestfallen meant, which he was not, and so he did not. Feeling a sudden surge of pity for his creation, Trevor pulled the sheets back and went to the window, the scarecrow cocking its cushioned head as he approached. Trevor threw the latch and the window swung open, letting what was then the steam of early summer stream through his lungs and tussle his pajamas and hair. The scarecrow was overjoyed at this, at once leaping up and down and clapping its weightless hands together. It hurled itself out the window, but did not drop as Trevor assumed of course it would. Instead, the scarecrow man danced a jaunty step away along the path of the wind until it was gone entirely from view. Since that night, Trevor had been in a near constant state of creation. Even when he was tasked with other work or working on other tasks, his mind was always and ever conceiving of new scarecrows, new materials to use, and new faces to carve. And no matter what he made, and no matter where he placed it, each time they would come alive and dance away on the midnight wind. I don't even watch anymore, Trevor admitted now. I've seen it so many times, it's kind of boring. Making them is enough, you know? Do, do you, Trevor stammered, have you, have you told anyone about this? Trevor shrugged. I tried to when it first started happening, but grown-ups have a tough time believing in cool stuff like this. Mostly, they just assume that bad shit's going to keep happening. Anything really neat and magic has to be a lie or a trick. You, and here the younger boy hesitated, and for the first time, seemed almost shy. You believe me though, right? I know it sounds like the craziest thing you've ever heard. Believe me, Terry said. I've known crazier. And I do believe you, Trevor. Do you think, I know you said it's gotten boring, but do you think that tonight we could watch this one come to life? Sure, Trevor exclaimed. That'd be great. And it is always interesting, 
Even if you've seen a bunch, I, I promise, no two move the same way. They raised the most recent creation up on sticks that Trevor had run back to fetch as the scarecrow neared completion. Weightless hands rose and fell with the wind, bodyless shoes thumping against their purchase. Terry tried to imagine this thing, mobile and alert, but even for as much as he had seen and learned in his former life as a monster, this was one bridge too far. So, I'll see you tonight? Trevor asked, and Terry noted that the shyness had returned to his voice. The kid expected to be stood up. Tonight, Terry said. Then he said, when? Trevor was practically hopping up and down, he was so excited. Come as close to midnight as you can, he said, but not after. If you come after midnight, you'll miss it. He grinned even wider. And you won't want to miss this. By the time they approached the roof again, the air had gone from refreshing chill to stinging cold, stealing the breath from out their mouths in long strands of vapor. After a moment, Terry's eyes adjusted to the dark well enough that he could make out the shape of their scarecrow, propped up and still blowing stiffly in the breeze. How long? He whispered to Trevor. There was no need to whisper. There was no one else there, yet all the same. Terry felt that to speak aloud at full volume would be to cross some invisible infraction, interrupting some sacred ritual and throwing natural forces out of balance. Trevor must have felt this too, for he whispered back, Not long. Not long proved just long enough for the first tinges of embarrassment to begin flushing on Terry's cheeks. How was he going to explain this to Mustafa if he was discovered out of bed? The guy was already sticking his neck out for him enough, and all he asked was adherence to a few simple, easy rules. And here was Terry, flagrantly violating one of the major ones. For what? To watch a scarecrow come to life? What a fool he'd been. He just opened his mouth to say as much, the cold having done much to snuff out his sense of politeness with regards to those younger than himself when Trevor suddenly grabbed the front of his coat and hissed, There! At first, the motion was so subtle that Terry thought the scarecrow might still be caught in the wind's steady grasp. But then the wind shifted, tussling the hair he kept forgetting he had. He was grateful for it now, though, for this was stark proof that no, his eyes were not deceiving him. The scarecrow's limbs were moving against the wind. It writhed free of the cords that Trevor had used to bind the scarecrow to the posts, tumbling to the ground with a rustle and a thump, as if some invisible giant had seized the gourd head in its fingers and began to pull. The scarecrow unnaturally rose. Even once its feet were underneath it, the scarecrow tottered this way and that, unused to the weight of its own head.
but after only a moment of this discomfort, the scarecrow seemed to settle and gain solid footing. Wait, Trevor whispered. Here comes the best part. In truth, when Trevor had said that the scarecrows danced, Terry had not been sure what to imagine. He had had only rudimentary experiences with the form himself before being sent to the city be the Black Sun. And while gargoyles such as the one he had become had a number of quality features enviable to most humans, one thing they lacked was a good soft shoe. If pressed, Terry would have to admit that the images running through his mind was of the scarecrow from that old movie, Wizard of Oz, the guy's legs always going out from under him. This was not that. Indeed, the scarecrow's legs hardly entered into it. They moved, yes, but the legs were not the engines of the body, just as no single limb or part seemed to be in command. The scarecrow swooped and stooped. It leapt and fell and spun. When it lit to the air, it hovered above the roof, gliding on the wind which took it further and further away from the roof in long arc before depositing it back so it might leap again. At last, the wind carried the scarecrow away and did not return it to the roof. The scarecrow rode a long circuit around the roof, but its feet never again touched down. Instead, it circled again and then again, each time straying farther and farther out into the bottomless empty of the night sky. And then, at last, it went so far that it did not return. Still dancing, still shuffling, the scarecrow fell into night like a stone swallowed by a black pond. Terry realized after a long moment that he was still holding his breath. That was a good one, Trevor said. Probably because I had your help. Yeah, Terry said, still trying to find his breath. Sure. He escorted Trevor back down to the kid's apartment. Trevor, all the time, chatting on about the materials he's going to try out for his next scarecrow. And would Terry like to join him? Probably, the older boy admitted, advising Trevor to simply come over to his home whenever he'd like and see if Terry was around. It occurred to Terry, as he made his way down the stairs, that he never referred to Mustafa's apartment as home until just then. He wondered what he'd said had been what he truly felt the whole time that he was making his way down the stairs to the apartment in question. He sensed it was hopeless long before he made it, and as such, he made no efforts to disguise the sounds of his re-entry. As expected, Mustafa was at the table in his bathrobe and fuzzy blue slippers, the ones that Terry had spent a week trying to explain were meant for women, before realizing that Mustafa knew this and did not care, because the slippers were warm and they were cozy, and he quite liked the color. His guardian was at the table with his head in his hands, his eyes lightly closed. They fluttered open when Terry entered, fixing the boy with a look that was part relief, part rage, and part something else. Surprise, perhaps? I thought you might be gone, Mustafa said. I never left the building, Terry replied. I promise. I thought you might be gone, Mustafa repeated. And then I got to wondering if you could be gone when you've never really been here. Not really. You're always on that roof, wishing yourself somewhere else. 
Terry took a seat near Mustafa. It's not that I don't want to be here. It's not that I'm not grateful. I'm just, I can't help but wonder about all the other lives I could be having. When I was what I was before you met me, I kept wondering what it would be like if I could be human again. And now I'm human again. And all I can think about is what I could be doing if I wasn't. I'm sorry, but that's just, that's who I am and how I am who I am. Does it, does it make you angry? Me being me? He expected anger, or at the very least, frustration. Instead, Mustafa sighed, smiled a tired smile, and patted Terry's hand. You're a seeker, kid, he said, and that's blessing and curse. The curse is, no matter how long you look, no matter where you go, I'm sorry, but you ain't ever gonna find whatever the one thing is that could end your seeking. The moment you did, you'd be off after something else. Okay, Terry said slowly. So, what's the blessing part? The blessing, Mustafa said, is all the spectacular things you can look forward to discovering in between now and then. You'll never find the one thing, but there's no telling the number of other things you'll find. Just remember, remember always. You don't have to seek alone. Mustafa gave Terry's hand another affectionate squeeze, then stood to go. Terry was suddenly drowning in things to say, yet unable to vocalize any of them. He thought he might cry out with frustration, but he managed to force out, Mustafa! The officer stopped. Yes? Not thinking, Terry blurred the first thing that came to his head. I, I met this kid, and he, that is, we, that is, um, it's kind of an arts and crafts project, and, and maybe you could help out with it. Mustafa smiled his tired smile, white teeth almost glowing against his dark skin. What kind of project? Now it was Terry who smiled. Do you want to build a scarecrow? Hi everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by Cinepunks, which includes uh, the Cinepunks podcast itself, along with Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, The Mandate, Wine and Cheese, along with tons of great writing that you can find on the Cinepunks website. So please check us out, or either on the website itself, or on iTunes, or even on Spotify, where all Cinepunks programming is now streaming. Get on that. Cinepunks is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, which you can hit up at xlvacx.com. That's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com. Or, if you want to support Black Sun Dispatches and other Cinepunks program directly, you can hit up our Patreon, which you can find on the Cinepunks website. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, it's a huge, huge help on getting the word out to other people. Uh, so any good reviews and comments you can leave there would be really, really appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at the true Brennan F. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Again, that's at the true Brandon F. And that's at Black Sun Show. Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers, and the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, now, uh, usually I try and do two episodes a month, but the holidays are a really, really tough time to try and write and produce uh, four episodes. So for November and December, I think we're going to do one episode per month with November's plan for November 19th. Uh, don't worry, it's going to be a huge blowout. It'll be well worth the wait and well worth being the only episode that month. Uh, I think you guys are really, really going to be psyched on that. And same with the December episode. So I will see you all uh, this November. Uh, I'll see you all November 19th uh, for that episode. And until then, I hope you have a happy Halloween and, you know, happy life between episodes, I guess. Yeah, best of luck. Vote.